0: Hello, my name's Alex Clark and welcome to the Vintage Podcast. In celebration of National Poetry Day, we've gathered together some of the brightest and best new and young poets, and we've put them together for you to enjoy. to be joined by Michael Simmons Roberts now Michael thank you so much for coming down to talk to us about your collection Mancunia pleasure to be here thank you one of the first things I said to you was what's that badge and I said it just out of uh, out of interest. It's uh, just to describe it for our listeners. It's a, a, a small lapel badge with a very striking red star in the middle of it, uh, and very delightfully, may I say, retro looking without sounding too annoying. Tell me what it is. It turns out to have a link to this book.
1: It is a retro badge. You're right, and it's it, it says around the star, uh, Republic of Mancunia, and it's in the colours of Manchester United. And so I'm partly wearing it because. I'm in London and I quite enjoy that conversation and the the football season is about to start again. But also one of the many uses of the word Mancunia as opposed to Manchester or being Mancunian that you find circling around the city. And you do find it quite a lot as a sort of uh, a friendly way of talking about the city or a way of slightly distancing it from its reality, a mythic version of the city, which is what I was interested in. But one of the places you see it is at Old Trafford, where there's a big banner, Republic with a K of Mancunia. So uh, that's the badge. Well,
0: football and myth and place go absolutely hand in hand. And I know this is not a book about football, but football does crop up into it. You are a Manchester United fan, I am, aren't I you? am, yes. I'm just going to ask you Season one... Season to
1: get hold nonetheless no less.
0: Very, very quick question about that. When... Wayne Rooney bid his farewell, how did you feel about that?
1: I felt it was timely I felt, uh, he's been an extraordinary player and servant of the club um, but uh, I, if I was in his position, I, not getting game time anymore and you can see that the lights are beginning to go out on your career at a club like that then it was right to me and I was really glad the move he made was back to Everton and that seemed absolutely right on every level Again it was that. To,
0: it's that sort of native son kind of feeling, isn't yeah, it? That he was going right. back to the place where he started. This is not, listeners, please don't worry, we are not going to talk about football. <laughs> that was it. Uh, but this idea of Manchester as a kind of village, in a sense, that kind of claims people is a part of this book, and I I found it fascinating to read as a Londoner, where I think you have the same sense, but London is so enormous, so sprawling, so diverse in so many different ways... In Manchester, whenever I visit, I get the sense of a much smaller centre and a much greater sense of cohesion.
1: It is. I mean, it's a it's a provincial city in in size and scale. It's um, it's nothing like London, obviously, but I think it does have a claim to be a world city. Um, and it kind of punches above its weight culturally mm. and always has. Um, that's partly because of its history. So Manchester has a claim. All right, you could argue about it till the cows But it has a claim to be the birthplace of capitalism, to be the birthplace of Marxism, because this is where Engels was was shown what it was like in these new industrial slums that were developing. Um, it The birthplace of the computer. Um, and, of course, in terms of music... And football as just two cultural examples but also classical music and um, literature it's got a, a hugely significant place in British culture and international culture. So you have no trouble when you're travelling abroad and people ask you where you're from, and you say, Manchester, it's never a blank. Absolutely. There's always some kind of response. And
0: there are so many different facets of popular culture that you can link to. I mean, one, for example, will obviously be, thinking of my my sort of age group, of course you think of Manchester, and of course you think of that club scene, Mm. um, because it had an absolutely immense impact the figures in it had an immense impact tony wilson etc all those all those labels i mean that presumably was around when you were growing up too. It must have had an enormous impact on you.
1: Yes, and the hacienda gets mentioned in, in one in one of the poems because one of the interesting things about the hacienda is it can't possibly have accommodated all the people who now say they were there. <laughs> <laughs> so that's become mythic as as well. But I th- I think one of the things I'm interested in in the way that cities present themselves and allow themselves to be presented is how sometimes they're presented too thinly so th- th- this is also a city with um, a huge litany if you read out all the names of Nobel Prize winners, maybe for science, mainly for science and engineering it's the city where Elizabeth Gaskell worked and wrote um, it's a city with, at the moment from people who know more about it than I do it's got two of the best orchestras in the country, if not in Europe so it, it, it's got An extraordinarily rich and complex history which sometimes I think is too slimmed down to be the Hacienda and the two big football Well, you see, I've
0: just done that. I've started with the total cliché. I mean, if I now go to Coronation Street,
1: we've got the the full house, haven't we?
0: Of (laughs) things that you think about, you know, and perhaps some dark satanic mills or something like that. I have fallen totally in the cliché. Absolutely, as you say, there is an entire history there and there are all these places... In Greater Manchester as well, that you that you encompass that have such specific identities. Um, so it is it is a sort of city with city states around it in a way, isn't it?
1: It it is, but it, but it's a city that um, uh, generates myths and stories. There's mm. a, there's, there's a, one of the interesting conversations I had in the process of making this book was with a colleague I teach at Manchester Metropolitan University. And there, there's, um, I have a colleague there called Steve Hawley who's done work in the way that cities mythologize themselves and generate myths, and how why some do and some seem not to. So he used the example, and forgive me if you're in Southampton, this may be doing Southampton down, but he said Southampton has a scale and a history and a, a body of population that um, is not miles away from Manchester's or Liverpool's. Mm. But whereas Manchester and Liverpool have a whole wealth of associations that people come out around the world, if you mention those two cities. Southampton doesn't seem to generate the same kind of mythic culture around it. You might know a few things about Southampton, and Southampton is just an example. There are other examples. So what makes some cities generate mythic versions of themselves, and people want to tell stories about them? and people remember when they've been there and have a particular association with that visit and other cities less so.
0: Yes. Is it partly, do you think, to do with immigration and community shifts? I'm thinking about Liverpool and Manchester as these enormous port cities. I know that that Southampton obviously is too, but with their vast um, numbers of, of, of Irish um, communities who then also... Sp- become a diaspora, a community in diaspora and that's just one example there are, there are enormous numbers of different communities who have settled who have made their own version of Manchester and who have then swapped that with the people who were there, the people who've come from other places, it's become a sort of huge bubbling pot of story in a way hasn't it?
1: I think that's true and it grew enormously quickly and it was one of the first real modern cities Mm. to to develop so populations um, moved in very quickly and grew very rapidly and uh, there there are various people I've spoken to or read uh, who who say that the the significant Irish population for example uh, brought a tradition of storytelling um, and music to the city which kind of undergirded what we're talking about Mm. but some of it is just uh, impossible to pin down. Why does a city have, as I think Manchester has an extraordinary confidence, a kind of brashness which I don't see as negative at all? Manchester's very proud of itself. And, there is um, that,
0: that association with swagger? Yeah,
1: anyway, there's, there? There, 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 there's, there's attitude mm. to, to, to Manchester and to Mancunians, which I think is one of the people that um, uh, one, one of its most striking characteristics.
0: Okay, so how did you begin to bubble this down? Just assuming you'd already thought to yourself, I can't possibly get to the essence of this place. There's too much time to cover centuries and centuries. You do go right back into the past. There are too many communities, too many people, too many stories. How did you go about it? Why did you want to?
1: I didn't know I wanted to write a book called Mancunia until about halfway through. And one of the things I was clear about from the outset, this is not a book about Manchester. Otherwise, it could have been called Manchester. It's it's a book about um, mythic versions of this city. It's got one foot in real Manchester and one foot in utopia, or arguably dystopia. And this is, I find, the way that poems come individually and also the way that sequences of poems or book length collections come about for me is usually from three or four different directions and then they cross and sometimes the crossing is um, counterproductive and you have to back away and sometimes it becomes um, it seems to make the right kinds of connections and then you start to work and write into it and that's what happened with this so I've been doing some work uh, quite a lot for BBC Radio but some other work on the big anniversary of Thomas More's Utopia um, over the last couple of years. So that was fresh in my mind, this extraordinary word which was planted into our language and now we all circle around and use mm. commonly. And, and also the sense of what an imagined city might be like and how it could, and as, as Utopia does, kind of undermine itself um, and how that maps onto a real city. And because this word Mancunia is around... Uh, and interested me because it's, it, it's, it's related to Mancunian, it's related to Manchester but it's also nods towards utopias and dystopias it gave me a space to write into which allowed me, I think to explore something of my own roots because this is the city where my grandparents lived where, I mean, every day on my way up, down to the university I pass the building where my parents met um, so there's, there's lots of personal connections there some of which come into the book But also, I think it's a fascinating city and uh, it's a city I work in and have been, having travelled around, come back to, um, sorry, it's a city I've been based in, having originally come from the Northwest, had gone back there 20 years ago. Um, So it's a very personal book, but it's also enabled me to, I think, play out and explore ideas of what a city might mean, how a city tells stories about itself how a city copes with and encompasses its imagined versions as well as its reality and um, I I think as soon as I realised that the poems were all coalescing around this imagined place um, the second half of the book started to ...pull itself out of the darkness more quickly. So one point would lead to another and lead to another. And uh, the, the pace then quickens. And that's how i found my books tend to emerge.
0: And there is that, that other thing, which of course happens to all cities... in you could argue all places, where some of the poems really are just... ...a glimpse of somebody, a moment, a snapshot. And that is what living butted up against other people does, isn't it? That somebody glimpsed in the street, a busker for example... ...or somebody on the tram is a character in a, in a living kind of tableau.
1: Yes, I mean, there, there was there was no attempt, and it would have been ridiculous to attempt to be comprehensive, to somehow reflect every aspect of this city. And part of what um, I suppose the, the book is about is the impossibility of uh, summing up. There's no single myth or story or piece of history that sums up Manchester. I suppose the closest I came to it was there's, there's a poem... Um, which my editor was very long-suffering about, allowing me to stretch across two pages. And it's in the shape of a diorama. Oh, yes,
0: absolutely. Can... Suddenly, there it is, sort of almost in the middle of the book, isn't it? Almost it's... in
1: the middle of the book, and suddenly you realise you're meant to read across the open double page. Um, and it's it's justified on margins left and right, so it looks like a block of unpunctuated text. And... Um, It's like a museum diorama. It's meant to contain a sort of breathless journey through um, the most mythic and celebrated aspects of Manchester's history. Um, And that came from a piece of research that I did where I came across the fact that there was a famous and huge and celebrated diorama in Albert Square in Manchester in the 19th century um, which was like a theatre stage but behind glass, and people would come and watch and the curtains would go back and there'd be an alpine village uh, <laughs> with, with people so it's a tableau, it's a tableau mm, form of theatre, mm. and of course now we know dioramas mainly from um, museum cases where, you know, someone hunting a saber-toothed tiger or something, but a, a number of contemporary artists, including some in Manchester, are starting to reimagine the diorama as a contemporary visual art form. So I thought, well, what, what if I try and explore what a poem would look like in a diorama? So there's this poem, a Mancunian diorama, which is the closest I think the book comes to a, a, a sort of packed um, tableau yes, of Manchester yeah. history and myth.
0: Well, there is quite a lot of playing with form, but I always think when I kind of reach something that's very unlike everything else in a book of poetry... Now the poet's decided to have a, a play game. And now there's a bit of sort of downtime. I'm going to do something different. It's a bit of, it's a bit of fun too of experimentation, isn't it? Just yeah. sort of playing with all these different forms.
1: I think, I think poetry is essentially, and I write in different forms as well, but poetry is the most fundamentally experimental yes. medium. Play, in I, in think I think, actually would be a better word it's than play- fun. It's, you want to be it, playful with playful, the language. It's experimental and it's exploratory. By the very nature yes. of it you know, if you start a poem and know where it's going to finish it's not going to work it, ha- it has to be a process of the words taking you for a walk as much as you taking them for a walk
0: can I just, just end by asking about something that happens at the very beginning of the book which is that before we get to any poems um, your dedication is, points out to the reader um, that these poems were completed um, before the attacks on the Manchester arena in May this mm-hmm. year and um, That must have cast what you were doing in a very different light, I mean, in a personal sense.
1: It did. I mean, the the attacks on the Manchester arena um, uh, were... They shook the city in the Mm. way that... And I don't think that's uh, unique because um, the same thing happened in London um, with the attacks on Borough Market and so on. But because of the size of Manchester, I think because of the interconnectedness of a smaller city like that... Um the, 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 the ripples extended so that we knew people who were there, um, and uh, my own children had been there, one of them had been there just a week before for another mm-hmm. event and so on. So the, the, there's that sense of it being close to home. And uh, all the poems were finished, and then reading them in the, in, in back because they'd gone actually, they'd gone through proofs and were off to print when it happened, um, I looked and thought, actually, I don't want to change anything about the fabric of the poems. It does show them up in an, a different light. But I think um, that, that sorry, let me just think of a way of expressing that. Um, in the light of those events, I think the poems did look different. But because the book is not explicitly about Manchester, um, I felt it right to leave them and to allow that to be one of the lights that shone upon it. Uh, That's a bad phrase. Um, And to allow that and all the other historical mythic references that are in there um, to, to reflect off the poems. But I did feel it was important to... Make some mention or to honor what happened in that night on that night in some way, because there were extraordinary acts of selflessness and heroism and um so I was just in time it was about to go to press the next day to rededicate the book so the book is dedicated to the Mancunians and others who were there on that night and did so much
0: and I think the book as a whole, which is it's a wonderful book, and I think it really does do that job of actually being about place and also universal thank you so much for talking to us about it
1: I really appreciate it Thank you very much, pleasure
0: Thanks so much for listening, I really hope you enjoyed that Do, if you have a moment, review us on iTunes, and if you do so you might even win some of the books that we've mentioned today. Until next time